This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Humans eat meat more often and in greater quantities than any other primate. Um, and as we've already heard today twice, uh, meat consumption is seen by many as one of the defining features of our species. Uh, and it's been linked to the evolution of our large brains, bipedal locomotion, pair bonding, and other distinctly human traits. So therefore, it's critically important to understand what caused this dramatic dietary shift. So to understand how and why meat-eating became so prevalent in our lineage, we need to know something about the ancestral state. In other words, we need to make inferences about the behavior of the last common ancestor of humans and our closest living relatives. So I'm talking about this creature here um, that lived in Africa four to eight million years ago. So as our closest living relatives, uh, and as specifically as large-bodied, primarily fruit-eating apes, chimpanzees and bonobos provide clues about the behavior of this last common ancestor. Of course, they are not exact replicas or models of the last common ancestor. Instead, they help us to understand the ecological pressures that this animal faced, um, and in turn can help us understand what changed in our lineage, and why. Both chimpanzees and bonobos eat meat, uh, but chimpanzees do so more often, so we know more about the factors that affect their hunting frequency. So that's why I'm discussing chimpanzees today. A little bit of background on chimpanzee biology. Chimpanzee diet is dominated by ripe fruit. Um, Figs, like these here, are particularly important. Um, And the abundance and distribution of ripe fruit in chimp habitat affects grouping and travel patterns of the chimpanzees, which, as we will see, um, also affect hunting behavior. In addition to a largely fruit-based diet, chimpanzees also eat leaves, specifically young leaves, which are easier to digest and extract protein from. Um, They eat flowers and stems, as well as invertebrates like termites and ants, and at some sites they use tools to do so. So here's a chimpanzee at Gombe using a long blade of grass to extract termites from a termite mound. So it should come as no surprise to this audience now that chimpanzees also eat meat, but compared to humans they do do so relatively rarely. So this is a, and it's actually really surprising um, to, see, to find that there are relatively few published data on the proportion of diet um, spent eating meat. Um, so this is just a quick and dirty breakdown of diet from Gombe National Park, which is where I work. Um, and, you, and as you can see, the time spent feeding is dominated by ripe fruit and leaves, and meat makes up about uh, 4.3% of feeding time. Insects are about 3.2%. Um, compared to Kanyuara, which is Richard Rangham's site, um, there they eat meat. They spend less than one percent of their feeding time uh, eating meat. And at Mahali, where they estimated it in terms of grams per day, it's only about forty-five grams. So very, very different to what we see among humans. 
So by far, the most important prey species for chimpanzees is the red colobus monkey. These guys weigh from 8 to 10 kilograms, um, although at some sites the chimps target the young, the infants, and the juveniles, which are obviously much smaller. Red colobus are arboreal. They live in trees. Uh, they rarely come down to the ground. Um, and they live in large groups, 50 or so individuals, and they fiercely defend themselves against the chimpanzee hunters. So when I say that they're the most important prey species, you can, you can see why. So here are five major chimpanzee long-term research sites. And at all sites where red colobus and chimpanzees coexist, um, red colobus are the most frequent prey species. So you can see here at Mahali, Thai, Gombe, and Kanyuara, it's about 80% of the prey taken are red colobus monkeys. And at Ngogo, at least until recently, 90% of the prey were red colobus. But this has changed in recent years because the chimpanzees have decimated the red colobus population, which we may hear about later from David Watts. So which species make up the other category, the little gray bars at the top on that last graph? Well, um, to some extent, other arboreal monkeys, so from left to right, uh, red-tailed guenons, black and white colobus monkeys, and blue monkeys. Um, and then also they prey up spa- upon small ungulates, infant bush pigs at the bottom left, um, bushbuck fawns, uh, adult dikers, which are small forest antelopes, and then small animals that hide in tree holes, like this galago here, and nestlings, and so on. So hunts of the latter, uh, particularly the bottom row here, um, don't really involve pursuit in the same way that hunts of arboreal monkeys do. They're much more, much more of a quick grab as the uh, chimps come across them as they're foraging. Now, hunting frequency varies considerably within and between sites, ranging from um, as few as two kills per year uh, in Budongo Forest in Uganda to as many as 136 per year at Ngogo, also in Uganda. So this variation gives us the opportunity to study the ecological factors that affect hunting decisions. So clearly, um, much of it, uh, much of this variation is going to be driven by what prey species are available in the habitat. So as we saw, red colobus monkeys dominate the prey profiles um, at the sites where they're present. So if they're not available, we're going to see lower rates of hunting overall, obviously. Um, so we can see here at Fongoli and Budongo, there are no red colobus monkeys, and their uh, number of prey per, per year, killed per year, are quite low. However, we see also there's considerable variation in the sites where red colobus are present. Um, so there is additional variation that's not explained by the presence of red colobus monkeys. So it's not just going to be the presence of a particular species that's important. It's also going to be important um, how dense the uh, population is, how many there are in the habitat. So, And this is a particular challenge that we face, particularly when it comes to the uh, cryptic prey. 
So, for example, these galagos are they're small, solitary, nocturnal primates that are they're active at night and they nest in tree cavities during the day. Really hard to get a good sense of how many there are in the habitat. So we're going to hear, hear in Jill Preetz's talk later today that these galagos are eaten relatively frequently at Fongoli. But this may simply be because um, relative to other sites, perhaps they're more common there than they are elsewhere. There's also considerable variation um, within sites as well. So I'll use Kibali National Park as an example here. Um, Diker, the small forest antelope, are frequently seen uh, at Ngogo. Um, but only rarely seen at Kanyuara, which is a chimpanzee community in the same exact forest. So it's really challenging to do so, but I think we really need to have some systematic comparison of prey density both within and between study sites to fully understand prey choice. So with that in mind, um, what other factors are going to affect hunting frequency? So as a behavioral, behavioral ecologist, I think in terms of the costs and the benefits of hunting. The main costs are energy, especially when hunting arboreal monkeys, because it takes a lot of effort to climb trees quickly and chase the monkeys. Time is important. The mean hunt duration at Gombe, uh, Craig Stanford found, is about 28 minutes, so there's opportunity cost. And then also injury uh, from falling or from being attacked by um, prey who clearly don't want to be eaten. The benefits, as we heard about from Alyssa, are, are clearer. Um, their meat is always going to be beneficial. Uh, meat is a concentrated source of easily accessible macro and micronutrients. Um, however, for chimps, it does. It's, it's would be. It's, it seems unlikely that meat is essential to their diet, given that some communities rarely hunt, and even among communities that do hunt frequently, there are some individuals who rarely get meat. So, they have other alternatives, presumably the insect diet that they have to get some of these nutrients. Although it's just less efficient than when from getting it from meat. So. Therefore, we expect chimpanzees to take advantage of low-cost opportunities to get meat. They can afford to be picky because they don't require it to survive, but when they can get it, they'll take advantage of those low-cost opportunities. So um, I'm proposing that variation in factors that affect hunting costs should affect hunting frequency. So what evidence do we have that chimpanzees are especially sensitive to the costs of hunting? First, theory predicts that females should be more risk-averse than males. Female reproductive success is more closely tied to their body condition compared to males whose reproductive success is uh, determined by the number of females that they, can, that they mate with. So the costs of wasted effort, wasted effort on failed hunting, should be greater for females than for males. So this predicts, then, that females should specialize in prey that are less costly to capture. So indeed, at Gombe, um, females capture over 60%. You can see on, in the gray bar on the right-hand side, 60% of the sedentary passive prey items, like fledglings and uh, bushbuck fawns, things that don't fight back and don't run away, compared to only about 10% of the arboreal monkeys, which require a lot of effort to capture, um, and they fight back. 
In between, we have terrestrial aggressive prey like bushbuck piglets who it doesn't involve uh, climbing through the trees, but they have very, very angry moms who are, you do not want to mess with. Okay, so at Gombe, females specialize in these in sedentary, non-threatening prey. Females do, as we saw, sometimes hunt red colobus, but when they're present at a hunt that's already in, in progress, they are less likely than males to participate. Um, so this, again, suggests that they're particularly sensitive to the costs of hunting. Also, um, there is less incentive for females to hunt because when they are successful, most often a male just comes and takes it away. So instead, females are more likely to sit and watch from below and then beg for meat from successful male hunters. At all sites, um, upon encountering red colobus troop, um, a hunt is more likely to occur if there are many adult male chimpanzees present in a party. The chimps have a, what we call a fission-fusion social system. So if you think of that oval as one social group's range, the entire social group are never all together at once. Instead, they're in fluid, they form fluid subgroups that change in size and composition in relation to food and um, female availability. So... When I talk about the number of male chimpanzees, I'm talking about the number of male chimpanzees in one of those subgroups. And as I said, the likelihood of a hunt occurring upon encountering red colobus monkeys um, is proportional to the number of males present in that party. So there is some debate about why this is. It could be that when there are more males there, there are more opportunities to collaborate um, and to, to coordinate one's actions. Uh, however, as my colleagues and I have argued, um, we think there's a simpler, simpler alternative that group hunting simply arises as the cumulative effect of independent actions. The more hunters there are, uh, the easier it is for one individual to make a kill. Either way, hunting costs are lower as more individuals hunt. So large communities are certainly going to have, they're more likely to form these large hunting parties, contributing to the overall hunting frequency. So remember this chart that I showed earlier with variation in hunting frequency um, within sites where red colobus are present. So some of this variation is almost, is, is certainly going to be due to community size. So over the years when these data were collected, there were 150 to 200 chimpanzees in the Ngogo community, while Gombe, Mahali, and Kanyuara were all around around 50. Okay. So it certainly seems as though um, the, the large population size at, Gom at, at Ngogo had a, um, an important effect on hunting frequency. Another factor is variation in forest structure. So this is a high-res satellite image of part of Gombe. And you can see, just by looking, that there, the density and continuity of the forest canopy varies considerably within the range of a single chimpanzee community. So we look in the, in the valleys, we see evergreen forest, which looks like this. It's a con continuous canopy, tall trees. It's really costly for an individual to hunt. Lots of energy is going to be spent climbing and chasing. It's easier for monkeys to escape, so hunts might take longer and be less likely to succeed. On the ridges, we see woodland habitat, um, which are characterized by short trees that are widely spaced, so it's easy to trap monkeys in one single tree. 
less energy spent catching them. And as we uh, expect from that, we see that forest structure does indeed have an effect on both the probability of hunting um, in, of hunting in the, the darker maroon bars, both at Ngogo and at Gombe, um, and also affects the probability that a hunt succeeds as well. Finally, overall diet quality affects whether or not chimpanzees will take on the risk of hunting. So, for example, Richard and I showed at Kanyawara that hunting is more frequent during periods when overall high-quality fruit is available. And this result here isn't just because uh, high-quality fruit enables the, um, the formation of large parties, as it does at Gombe and, and, and Ngogo, but once you take that into account, we found that um, the probability of a hunt occurring was simply higher after controlling for group size um, it, during times when there was high-quality fruit available. So a party of six males, you can see there, um, hunts twice as often as a party... A, a party of six males in high-quality fruit seasons hunts twice as often as a party of six males in low-quality fruit seasons. We've argued that this is because the costs of a failed hunt are lower when there is high-quality food to fall back on. So to conclude, there is considerable variation in hunting frequency within and between sites. And this is because hunting frequency is affected by many ecological factors, um, having to do with the prey, having to do with the, the, um, the predators, and the ecology of the site. So if we agree that it's logical to conclude that the last common ancestor was faced with, sim with similar ecological pressures and would therefore have exhibited similar patterns, how then do we explain the increase in hunting in the hominin lineage? So I suggest that the first step might have been an increase in low-cost opportunities to capture prey, which could likely come as a combination of many factors, but I, I would argue that certainly prey availability and uh, habitat were key factors. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.